Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Matt Lax has realized a childhood dream. Being in development was something he always wanted, and it hasn't let him down yet. He oozes enthusiasm as he talks about his career and the change philanthropy can make both within society and on the most personal levels. Matt talks about his experience in corporate and foundation relations, especially within the context of COVID. He also talks about his experiences working at University of Pennsylvania and explains just why he loves development so much. Matt Lax is the development officer at Vaughn College of Aeronautics and Technology, where he solicits charitable gifts for the college. His previous professional experience is as administrative coordinator for corporate and foundation relations at the University of Pennsylvania, administrative assistant for the Department of Neuroscience in the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and administrative specialist in institutional advancement at Temple University. Matt is a candidate for the degree of Master of Arts in Financial Planning and Law at Regent University. He also holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology from Temple University. Matt has served as Director at Large for Community Service for the Temple University Young Alumni Association. Born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania suburbs, Mr. Lax resides in Great Neck, New York with his wife, Ava, and enjoys traveling, basketball, history, and philanthropy. Now let's get inspired by Matt. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Catherine, thanks so much for having me. Uh, let me just say that this is my favorite podcast, and I'm happy to I'm happy to be on it. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I met Matt as a listener, which has been a pretty fun silver lining out of the COVID experience. So tell us, you have been in development your whole career, just like me. And it was actually the fulfillment of a childhood dream. I went to a private Quaker grade school in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and I told the director of development there one day I wanted her job. Now, I was 11, 12 years old. I had no idea what development was or did, so I just laughed it off at the time. But my senior year of college, when I was the manager of of Temple University's men's basketball team, we opened a multi-million dollar practice facility funded 100% by donations, and that that got me thinking, you know, I want to be able to be part of this. So I was lucky to meet our senior vice president for institutional advancement at the time at Temple, and I got started there. And what was it about that director of development when you were younger and seeing the sort of sports fundraising experience that really inspired you and made you want to do this work? Well, I think that the people in development tend to be some of the nicest you meet. And being a sociology undergraduate major, I was... um, I tend to like to be around people who who are who think on that same wavelength and think on the same wavelength that there's a lot of issues out there, but we can't always solve them through politics. Let's go with philanthropy. If you get enough donations together, you can really do amazing things, and that's one of the things that um, that, that really gets me up every morning uh, is that hey, I get to really make an impact on somebody else's life. I completely agree. So we're going to focus today on talking about corporate and foundations work. I'm happy, I'm happy to do it. Um, CFR is, uh, sometimes people say it's the stepchild of development, but actually we're just as important because corporations legally are still people. People, people have interests, universities and colleges have interests. So don't leave this pool of money that you can get uh, sitting on the table. Go for it. So what would you say are the core principles of the work in that area? 
I'd first say it's that that it's very similar to aligning the aligning what you want to do with what your donor wants to do. It's yes, corporations aren't going to be as able to give you as much because they're they're not in the business to uh, of, of charity. They're in the business of answering the shareholders. However, when you align when you when you find mutual interests, for instance, what the corporation do, makes or does, what you do, and you, and you use the Venn diagram, you can get a lot going on. It does take a lot more time than with an individual where. Very often, the individual, when you come in, they're expecting to be asked for something. They're willing to say yes. Corporations, you have to jump through more hoops. So I think one of the impressions that development officers have, and in some ways I do as well, is that Corpse and Founds is more transactional. Would you say that's true, or is that kind of a bad rap? Well, it, it is a bad rap, but unfortunately, it is true. Do you have, for instance, with foundations, you often have to give them a lot more information. For instance, when you're applying, you have to send the not your 990. You have to send your uh, IRS determination letter. You have to send financial reports. You have, you have to send them so much, and you have to stick to the budget that you plan on. Uh, and you have to send them financial reports about halfway through your grant. You have to send them. You have to send them a final one. So there is some more. There is a lot of transactional things going on there. CFR has like a, I believe it less I heard a 90% failure rate. So it really makes you, makes you appreciate that 10% you're really able to get. So meaning you pursue, you get 10% of the gifts that you pursue. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, not at, uh, scheduling is always a mess. If people are interested, people are even able to make a gift right now because, um, as we all know with COVID, right. a lot of, a lot of, a lot of financial conditions changed during COVID. I've luckily mine didn't. But I do know many people who's did, and they were, they would be, they would donate somewhere that meant a lot to them. But then they say, "Well, I can't right now," and it's, it's sad. And luckily, foundations, because legally they they must give five percent of their of their endowment returns every year without fail. It doesn't have to mean it's the same amount, but at least five percent must always be expended on the programs which they uh, which they which they support. So it doesn't matter how much it is; they're still going to do it. So mm-hmm. I've always said that foundations are. Are, are recession proof. It doesn't matter what the economic conditions are, they're always going to be giving. So it sounds like it's less around capacity and more all just about inclination. Like if what you need is what they're able to give. Yeah, pretty much. I would also add that it would that it has a lot more about if you're if you're if you're giving them the right stuff. For instance, uh, at Penn we had a we had a lo- long losing streak with the WM Keck Foundation, uh, which is a Smallish foundation in Los Angeles, but they're they're uh, they always like pie in the sky, high risk, high reward research that um was, that can really change the world. The, the thing is at Penn, we tended to have a lot more people who were faculty members who were able to get government grants, which not, not to knock government grants, they're they're amazing things, but at the same time, when you're going for a government grant, you have to. You can't think outside of the box that much. Whereas, mm-hmm. even though Keck is in Southern California, I call I can I often compare them to one of the venture capital firms uh, firms up the Pacific Coast Highway from there, where you really get, where they're taking these crazy ideas, funding them, supporting them, and and wa- and watching some amazing things happen. At the same time, it really got you to appreciate that sometimes, if it's not the right funder, it's not the right funder. You're gonna and it'll waste you. you don't waste your time trying to chase the wrong funder when you can be chasing the right one. Right. Well, I'm glad you talked about that because that does begin to answer the question that I want to ask you next, which is what was the most challenging gift you've worked on? Can you talk us through that experience? Well, so this was a scholarship program that we were suddenly reached out to to, uh, about at Penn when uh, 
a former Wharton MBA student's father who is a shipping magnate in Norway, his assistant reached out to us and said, you know, we want to work with Penn on what's called the Ocker Scholarship, which is similar, same idea, which is the same idea as the Rhodes Scholarship, where they send people, people from the uh, English-speaking world to Oxford. What this will do, though, is take the best of Norway to partner universities across the world. We were one of the first institutions to go with it, so we had only had a couple days to um, get to round up uh, our colleagues, round up faculty, round up uh, university leaders, and there was a lot of work that had to be done to uh, ensure that, to figure out how the money was going to come in. Would it come in in a gift fund? Uh, would it come in just through tuition? We also uh, had subsequent visits from uh, from the assistant who became the managing director of the uh, of the scholarship fund. And and again, so exciting. Putting, yeah, it, it, it was incredible. Um, putting and putting everything together for him to get to get interesting faculty members, interesting um, administrators. And of course, shipping all the material out to him as follow-up was a pain in the neck too, because um, uh, because getting it because it was so heavy, it was so expensive just to ship it to Norway, and of course, um, of course, trying to make sure that we ad- adhere to all the uh, all the federal uh, laws about uh, shipping things out was uh, was also a pain in the neck. But it was worth it. We got our students in. Very exciting. It really was. When he was uh, when he came in the subsequent visits, it was great to see him. He was uh, turned out to be a really nice guy. And I think that's such a good example of you just never know where a gift is going to lead you and what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I actually had I actually had another in- funny thing. I mistake where somebody mistakenly called my office from a family office uh, in Florida. So I casually answered the phone and he says to me, "My client wants to gift his IRA to Penn." Uh, I said, "So, well, first, um, thank you very much. We're." We're thrilled that he will make this donation to Penn. However, my office doesn't handle IRA gifting. Let me connect you over with the Office of Gift Planning. And I sat right next to them. So I could hear them. (laughs) Yeah, I I could hear them. I could see them. I could, I could, all five senses, I could them. So then about two, I I connected them over. They handled it. And about two days later, when I was walking to the kitchen to make my lunch, the one in gift planning, who's the subject matter expert on gifting retirement plan, said to me, Matt, can I see you for a moment? I said, yeah, Beth, what's going on? She says, you do know you just made us uh, $1.5 million. I said, I did what? And she says that uh, call that you had about, about gifting that IRA. I said, oh my God. I said, I wasn't even trying to do this here. Yeah, what a high note to leave on. It was, uh, and an intentional one too, which, are, which is always pretty fun. So you've been one year at Vaughn as a development officer. Yep. What's it like to make the transition from being in an administrative role in corporate and foundation administration to being a development officer? So, uh, so leaving CFR was definitely good preparation for it. I felt like being having been a pen for five years, uh, you, you're going to learn a thing or two about fundraising, whether it's whether it's gift planning, annual giving, major giving, principal giving, grateful patients. Um, doesn't doesn't matter what kind of giving, you're going to learn a lot about it there. And uh, I was. I felt really prepared. Um, I learned from some of the best fundraisers in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, I learned a lot at Penn, which, uh, when you, which if you're not learning something and you're working at a college, you're missing the whole point. I would like it if you could tell us about, from your perspective, how corporations can help schools like ours accomplish our missions as educational institutions. Sure. I think that corp- having corporate involvement is, is, is critical. I mean, for instance, in any, any any medical school, having the pharmaceutical company working with you to develop a new drug or try a new drug, that's something that we can really all benefit from. Uh, I still remember hearing that at Penn that there, uh, that Carl June at the Abramson Cancer Center was had successfully 
received a um, uh, FDA approval for uh, Camaro, which is a uh, gene therapy for uh, childhood leukemia. And given, given that my uncle died from, one of my uncles died from it, I was, um, uh, for me, I was thinking to myself, wow. If only, and he was treated at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which is adjacent to Penn, and they do a lot of a lot of research mm -hmm. together. And I was thinking to myself, if only he, if only they had this back in the 70s. I also think that corporations can be helpful at, at partners for higher ed when when there are very specific areas where they have to communicate what they need from higher ed to make sure that 15, 20 years down the road, things are still functioning the way that they need them to function and to have the human capital that's, that's um, critical for these industries. Well, it seems like COVID is also helping people rethink their role in society and giving oh, yeah. and not, and like you were saying before, like corporations and foundations, they are people, they are made up of people. Right. Do you think that there will be more giving on that side as a response to the COVID reality? Like, how do you think that's impacting this portion of the work? Well, corporations, I haven't, it's, it's, are hard to put a finger on it, especially since um, since we since uh, we had a lot of jobs lost, we had a lot of um, cost cutting that needed to happen, and of course a lot of of course when the stock market was going kaput uh, for uh, for a couple of weeks, um, that definitely made things difficult for corporate giving. But foundations have been waiving some, from my understanding, have been waiving some of their rule, general rules for uh, for giving because they they understand. Look, we need to respond to this as best as we can. Luckily, foundations have been willing to be more flexible on that, which which is good. Um, some foundations have strict rules about approach where you don't approach them, they approach you. Or they will say, we're willing to be more flexible with our programs. For instance, if it's for higher ed, but they only accept it for one proposal from a university, they may say, okay, we'll, we'll accept a couple because we recognize each school will have to, has different needs. So I think foundations have been recognizing that a little bit more and are recognize that COVID is unprecedented, so they have to in turn be do unprecedented things themselves. So how invested do you think the corporations are? You know, are they just trying to take the box to please their shareholders, as you mentioned earlier, or do you think they actually really do care about our mission and their own mission and what they stand for? Um, I think it, I think in some ways it depends. Um, from, at Vaughn, uh, the airlines tend to be pretty invested in us because we're training their we're training their future uh, their future uh, workforce. So mm -hmm. they want to they want to make sure that we're give, we're really sending them the best students we can do, get give them. And and I'm happy to say we do that. Uh, we definitely want to. Uh, I do think that if, that when we're if we're training your future workforce, you got to be invested. Um, uh, I think that at larger universities, it can depend uh, a little so bit. So it's more. about the relationship, right? Oh yeah, absolutely is. Um, but I do think that um, that as long as you're providing something for them, that's good. Even if it is quid pro quo, um, I still think that that they want to be they want to still have some interest in what we're up to because what we're doing not just impact only impacts them it impacts everybody my hope is that um corporations that even schools that that or units that may be a little leery about get, getting corporate support for instance i know that one of my colleagues at penn and who was in the school of social policy and practice was interested for the first time in really do, getting corporate giving in which had been which in previous year under previous years had been frowned upon where they're thinking you want to take money from big corporations who are who are causing all these issues in the world? Yes, but we can use their money to to to, uh, to fight right back against um, against these these uh, big issues that we're facing. So, and if you're leaving good 
very good donations on the table. Uh, that's that's a really good strike against the development program, I think. So, so, so making sure that you get, making sure that you get, you check off every opportunity you can get to, um, to, to be, to make your program successful. Uh, that that's excellent. Corporate and foundation giving is, is one which can really make, can help everybody in, in, uh, especially, especially when individuals may not be able to give, you know, foundations are always going to be able to give because they got to do it. Corporate and foundation experience is something we should all yeah, because there are there are some times when well that I've experienced that a corporation makes the gift on behalf of the individual and we soft credit the individual for it. So being able to connect those dots like that is always going to be helpful. Um, and also when you when your alumni are in top positions at a corporation, that right. For instance, uh, at Penn we had Com we had Comcast right in the middle of Philadelphia where the chairman CEO is a Penn alum. The founder of Lesson Memory, also a Penn alum, and the their executive vice president was our board chairman. Though he still is the board chairman, was for me because I'm not there anymore. A year later, I still got to catch myself from saying we. Yeah, like I'm still a Penn anymore. But so well, when you five have, years is a while. It is. Uh, but I'd been at Penn. I would say I worked there for five years. I'd been there for thirty years because I'm from a four generation Penn family. I just didn't. Oh go my there. gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of two members of my of my dad's family who did not go there. Oh my gosh! Did you did that feel weird? Not not really, because my uncle who didn't go to Penn worked at Penn for for a couple of years, and we we both went to college. We still went to college locally. Um, he mm -hmm. went to Vill he went to Villanova University, and of course, I went to Temple. So, at the and when I was working at Penn, my aunt and still is on the board of trustees there. Before that, though, she was a trustee at Temple, where she went to law school, and. She ended her trusteeship at Temple with my graduation. So, um, so oh, that's wonderful. So we, so we had, we had, we had three of the, three of the six large universities in in, um, in Philadelphia covered in our family. I think that's pretty fun. That is fun. And now that you're saying that, I'm thinking that probably that has something to do with you dreaming about development from a young age because you saw it, whether or not it was obvious or not, it was part of your upbringing. Yeah, and just higher education in general because. My grandmother was college counsel at Bryn Mawr College, just outside of the, uh, Philadelphia, and and my grandfather was the chair of the religion department there. So, just so I, I was born to be in higher ed, and um, that's and, right. And literally, when you literally grow up in higher ed, uh, which I'm sure you know, with your with your dad being having been in development higher ed for many years, it, it just comes naturally to you. And when you feel when you're in, when you're in a job, you're in a, you're in a field where it just feels natural. Everything it looks right, it feels right, everything right. Why stop? Absolutely. It's been so much fun, Matt. It's been great yeah. as a guest. And I would love to end with my signature question, which is what really? do you for? Well, here's what I know for sure. Development's the best job that you can ever have. Achieving my dream from a young age, um, learning something new every day, great people, great fun. I always like to say, if you're not having fun, you're missing the whole point. What, what's fun in development is really being able to make someone else's life better that even even in the even in the smallest way, and even when you get that unexpected call from somebody's family office that we want to gift uh, this IRA over to you guys, but you're the wrong number, and you and you still you still made that thing happen. It's uh it's it's one amazing thing, and uh, and uh, I can't wait for us to. Uh, uh, we're both eight years in. We got forever to go. Let's do it. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Kat. I can't wait. Can't wait to keep listening to this uh, great podcast, and um, and I'm definitely and I'm definitely going to try and get some more subscribers to this one because this is uh, as it's fun to listen to as it is to be on it. 
Matt, thank you for being a cheerleader for me, for the field, for those around you, and thanks for being a guest. For those of you who are listening, who are you cheerleading? Who are you inspiring? And how can you show up as your best self, loving your job and doing the work in the most positive way possible? Think about that, and I'll catch you next week.